0: Flame spurted skyward in indignation at the doubt in the atmosphere. Great wings raised and spread, and the children were looked at by a great many eyes. When the wild thing spoke, it was not in vocal words, but directly into their minds. I suppose you think I ought to be a golden-haired baby face with no body and two useless little wings? Charles Wallace stared at the great creature. It. Might be simpler if you were. I'm just a poor and stranger Traveling through this world below. Hi everyone, this is Ivy Tara Blair coming to you from shelter-in-place Missoula, Montana with Ivy Tara Blair Unplugged. Quarantine edition. Lovely Missoula, Montana, where at least if you have to shelter in place, there's some wonderful hiking. Did a beautiful hike today with the dog. who's a border collie, and therefore you really, you you don't have any options. You have to hike. (laughs) But we're very lucky. We can hike and maintain social distancing. I'm, I'm very blessed. So as much of a fangirl as anybody. And uh, Madeline Langle posted on her Twitter a quote from one of the Wrinkle in Time trilogy books. And I wrote back going, oh, I love that. That's so perfect. And I've been thinking about doing a piece from one of your books off for my little podcast. And, you know, I just, I don't approach authors. I'm shy. And she wrote back, wrote back, she wrote back. I mean, come on. I know that authors do this. (laughs) I was like, oh no, fangirl squee. She just wrote back a brief note saying um, the rights to do any presentation on the book is uh, with um, Macmillan kids. And uh, they're being very, uh, basically very lenient during this time. So I uh, thought a bit about it for the last couple of days. And I have a scene that I absolutely love from The Wind in the Door. The problem is, I don't have it on digital, and you will hear page turns. It's real, man. It's the real deal. I'm really actually reading a real book. Oh, yeah. Here we go Madeline Langle, A Wind in the Door, Chapter Three The Man in the Night. I'm actually picking up from the previous chapter by a couple paragraphs. To the right of the pasture was a woods. A small forest of oak, maple, beech, stripped of all but a few brittle leaves, backed by the dark winter richness of assorted spruce and pine. The ground, which the moonlight did not reach, was covered with fallen, damp leaves and pine needles which would silence footsteps. Then they heard the sharp crack of a breaking twig. Meg and Calvin, straining to peer through the trees, saw nothing. Then Charles Wallace cried. My dragons! They turned around and they saw, there by the great rock, wings. It seemed like hundreds of wings, spreading, folding, stretching, and eyes. How many eyes can a drive of dragons have? And small jets of flame. Suddenly a voice called to them from the direction of the woods Do not be afraid. A huge dark form strode swiftly through the woods and into the pasture. It reached them in a few strides, and then stood very still, so that the folds of its long robe seemed chiseled out of granite. Do not be afraid, he repeated. He won't hurt you. He? Yes. Charles Wallace's drive of dragons was a single creature, although Meg was not at all surprised Charles Wallace had confused this Fierce, wild being with dragons. She had the feeling that she never saw all of it at once. And which of all the eyes should she meet? Merry eyes, wise eyes, ferocious eyes, kitten eyes, dragon eyes, opening and closing. Looking at her, looking at Charles Wallace and Calvin and the strange, tall man. And wings. Wings in constant motion, covering and uncovering the eyes. When the wings were spread out, they had the span of at least ten feet. And when they were all folded in, the creature resembled a misty, feathery sphere. Little spurts of flame and smoke spouted up between the wings. It could certainly start a grass fire if they weren't careful. Meg did not wonder that Charles Wallace had not approached it. Again the tall stranger reassured them, He won't hurt you. The stranger was dark, dark as night and tall as a tree, and there was something in the repose of his body, the quiet of his voice, which drove away fear. Charles Wallace stepped toward him. Who are you? A teacher. Charles Wallace's sigh was a longing. I wish you were my teacher. I am cello-like voice was calm, slightly amused. Charles Wallace advanced another step. And my dragons? The tall man, the teacher, held out his hand in the direction of the wild creature, which seemed to gather itself, to rise up, to give a great, courteous bow to all of them. The teacher said, His name is Proganoski's. Charles Wallace said, He? Yes. He's not dragons? He is a cherubim. What? A cherubim. Flames spurted skyward in indignation at the doubt in the atmosphere. Great wings raised and spread, and the children were looked at by a great many eyes. When the wild thing spoke, it was not in vocal words, but directly into their minds. I suppose you think I ought to be a golden-haired baby face with no body and two useless little wings? Charles Wallace stared at the great creature. It might be simpler if you were. Meg pulled her poncho closer about her, for protection, in case the cherubim spouted fire in her direction. It is a constant amazement to me, the cherubim thought at them that so many earthling artists paint cherubim to resemble baby pigs. Calvin made a sound which, if he had been less astonished, would have been a laugh. But cherubim is plural. The fire-spouting beast returned, I am practically plural. The little boy thought I was a drive of dragons, didn't he? I'm certainly not a cherub. I am a singular cherubim. "'What are you doing here?' Charles Wallace asked. "'I was sent.' "'Sent?' "'To be in your class.' "'I don't know what I've done to be assigned to a class with such immature earthlings. "'I have a hard enough job as it is. "'I really don't fancy coming back to school at all at my age.' "'How old are you?' Meg held her poncho out wide, ready to use it as a shield. "'Age, for a cherubim, is immaterial.' It is only for time bound creatures that age even exists. I am, in cherubic terms, still a child, and that is all you need to know. It is very rude to ask questions about age. Two of the wings crossed and uncrossed. The message had been rueful rather than annoyed. Charles Wallace spoke to the tall man. You are my teacher and his teacher too? I am. Charles Wallace looked up at the strange, dark face, which was stern and gentle at the same time. It's too good to be true. I think I must be having a dream. I wish I'd just go on dreaming and not wake up. What is real? The teacher stretched out an arm and gently touched the bruise on Charles Wallace's cheek, the puffed and discolored flesh under his eye. You are awake. Or, if you're asleep, Meg said, we're all having the same dream, aren't we, Calvin? The thing that makes me think we're awake is that if I were to dream about a cherubim, it wouldn't look like that... that... Several very blue long-lashed eyes looked directly at Calvin. Proganoskis, as the teacher told you. Proganoskis. And don't get any ideas about calling me Cherry, or Cheery, or bimmy. It would be easier, Charles Wallace said, but the creature replied firmly, pro Out of the dark form of the teacher came a deep, gentle rumbling of amusement, a rumbling which expanded and rose and bubbled into a great laugh. All right then, my children, are you ready to start? We will call it, for want of a better word in your language, school. Are you ready to start school? Charles Wallace, a small and rather ludicrous figure in the yellow slicker he had pulled on over his pajamas, looked up at the oak tree height and strength of the teacher. The sooner the better. Time's running out. Hey, wait a minute, Calvin objected. What are you going to do with Charles? You and the the cherubim can't take him off without consulting his parents. What makes you think I'm planning to? The teacher gave an easy little jump, and there he was, comfortably sitting on the tallest of the glacial rocks, as though it were a stool, his arms loosely about his knees, the folds of his robe blending with the moonlit stone. And I came not only to call Charles Wallace. I came to call all three of you. Meg looked startled. All of us? But you may address me as Blageney, the teacher said. Charles Wallace asked, Mr. Blageney? Dr. Blageney? Sir Blageney? Blageney is enough. That is all of my name you need to know. Are you ready? Meg still looked astonished. Calvin and me, too? Yes. But... As always, when she felt unsure, Meg was argumentative. Calvin doesn't need—he's the best student in school, and the best athlete. He's important in everything. And I'm getting along now. It's Charles who's the trouble. You can see for yourself. School, ordinary school, is just not going to work out for him. Blaginie's voice was cool. That is hardly my problem. Then why are you here? That Blageney might have been sent solely to help her brother did not seem at all astonishing to Meg. Again came the rumble that bubbled up into a laugh. (laughs) My dears, you must not take yourselves so seriously. Why should school be easy for Charles Wallace? It shouldn't be this bad. This is the United States of America. They'll hurt him if somebody doesn't do something. He will have to learn to defend himself. Charles Wallace, looking very small and defenseless, spoke quietly. The teacher's right. It's a question of learning to adapt, and nobody can do that for me. If everybody will leave me alone, stop trying to help me, I'll learn, eventually, how not to be conspicuous. I can assure you I haven't mentioned mitochondria and Farandole lately. The teacher nodded grave approval. Charles Wallace moved closer to him. I'm very glad you haven't come because I'm making such a mess of school, but, Blaginie, if you haven't come because of that, then why are you here? I have come, not so much to offer you my help, as to ask for yours. Ours? Meg asked. Charles Wallace looked up at the teacher. I'm not much of a help to anybody right now. It isn't just that I'm not getting along at school. Yes he said. I know of the other problem. Nevertheless, you are called, and anybody who is invited to study with one of the teachers is called because he is needed. You have talents we cannot afford to lose. Then we must find out what is making you ill and, if possible, make you well again. I grew up with these books, as so many of us did. Um, I've actually, there was a lot of young adult fiction that I did not read, read until adulthood, like um, Susan Cooper's Darkest Rising series, for example. But these books I really did read as a young adult, and they just, they are books that became part of the furniture of my mind, which is how I also describe Ursula Le Guin's stories. They sank so deeply into how I perceive the world that they have shaped it. And that's why when I say I fangirl over Madeline L'Engle, that's that's how important these books are to me. And I was so happy to have flat-out permission (laughs) to read them, to read from them. Um, on this podcast. I don't really have a lot to say about the book right now. I will probably read more from the trilogy in the future. Every scene almost can be read in its entirety with very little introductory explanation. Be unto itself understandable and moving. I hope that everyone is taking care of themselves and being kind to each other. She she this is Ivytara Blair.